Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Money Management and Marketing. Close. Darn it. Money, marketing, and management. Mar- marketing, management, money. Oh, see, money should always be first. Okay, let's start that over. Why? I make that mistake every time. I, I love the money piece. <laughs> I know. It's, it, you should it, leave this on here so people understand how oh, much money oh, oh, I yeah, love. Oh, money. yeah. It, it's, it's, it's staying on. But it's, but it's I will get it embarrassing. Right. <laughs> it's, just, it's just funny at this and, point. And you'd think after months I would have got this right. So, all right, everybody, welcome to Marketing Management and Money. Well done. Um, I am your host, Ethan Migliori. And I am your host, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like immediately I'm supposed to goof up, but... <laughs> hey, that's what I'm here. I'm the comic relief for the show. Good, good. Thank so you, you just... Uh... <laughs> thank, you, thank you for doing that for us. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Let's, let's get started with Ryan and Ethan. So today uh, we thought we'd talk uh, a little bit in this episode about, you know, so I'm, I'm expanding, let's say I'm an existing business and I've maybe been uh, doing it out of my home or a garage or uh, just kind of bootstrapping it. And now I'm ready to move to a storefront or even I'm a startup, want to uh, move into maybe a different location or storefront. And even better, I've grown outside of my local business and I need to look for a a new building because I can't expand where I'm currently at. So we want to talk a little bit about the economics of, of expansion, things to maybe look for and watch out for is maybe we're looking for new locations and things to consider as you uh, go down this road of growth. Because a lot of times there's little things that uh, we forget and miss and that can be extremely painful as you go down that road. So do you want to stare, want to and, share a horror story from your background? Well, well and, and, and I will, but uh, still in the introduction, I, I want to just kind of point something out. And that is that we live in this space where everyone thinks that everything has moved online. And you've got to realize that online is always supported by uh, a factory, a brick and mortar retail. Like uh, online doesn't happen without infrastructure. Uh, online is the exchange of information, but it still requires infrastructure. And so, you know, I think we're going to be talking about, you know, talking about infrastructure uh, and and how that that kind of plays in here, uh, and maybe not getting into as deep with 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 some of the the digital aspects that that could come into play, uh, at least not in this episode. Uh, and that's a a great point. And uh, if you look at stats, you're going to see that online sales are actually still a very small portion of total GDP for any country. You know, it's like a 90-10 split. I mean, it's actually not even really close compared to the the retail piece. So, well, at, there, there was an interesting thing, and I know that you asked me to give my horror story, which is a you know, it, it it'll be a good tie-in. But I I, I want to still kind of you know put some some parameters around what we're discussing here. Uh, Zappos is an interesting case study in my mind. So, what happened with Zappos? And I apologize that I'm doing this off the top of my head, and so some of the numbers I I might not be as current on. But what happened with Zappos is when they started selling online shoes, everyone started predicting and forecasting that they were going to take over retail. It, it was just such a better model was was kind of this idea. And if you looked at the growth curve of Zappos, Zappos just went up, 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 and then all of a sudden it plateaued. And that plateau has stayed in place because there's – 
there's a certain demographic that they don't want to buy shoes online. They're not they're not enticed by the price point. They want to touch, feel, try on these shoes. And and so Zappos was able to gain a certain amount of market share and then they they kind of stopped. They stalled out because there was this large portion and I believe it was about 30% of the market that stayed traditional with the, you know, going into a, a shoe store. And so as you start thinking about this idea of growing and, oh, do I need to consider, you know, retail space or do I need to consider warehousing space? Uh, the answer is yes, you do need to consider these things because uh, digital is only going to take you so far. You know, the Amazon giant, which basically Zappos is, uh, you know, a, a, a subset of, of Amazon. Amazon. But the Amazon giant, the reason why they're able to do so much is because of their distribution centers. Like they they do run a lot of online. I mean, they, they are in, you know, online behemoth, but they're also a distribution behemoth. You know, their warehousing space is, is huge and continues to grow and grow and grow. So I, I don't want anyone to think, oh, you know what, I'm just digital. So I'm finally, I'm getting away from, you know, ever having a physical location. You know, even with the, the pandemic that had everyone starting to work from home, there's still a need for physical space. And that's what I want to talk about is, you know, just that need for physical space, what that looks like for your business, you know, things like that. So let's take just a minute and talk about what are some key indicators if I'm, if I'm growing, expanding, and let's, let's go from the, um, I've been bootstrapping my business. So maybe I'm still working out of my home, my garage, or uh, a very small location, or maybe even possibly startup. We'll kind of put those together. What are some key milestones or indicators that say, okay, I need to start looking for a larger location and what size should I really be looking for? So uh, great question. I want to take it actually from two directions. You talked about the company that has grown to a point that they now need space. I'm also going to talk about the company that maybe has too much space. The market has shifted and they're trying to decide, do I really hang on to this space? Is it worth me moving and relocating to a smaller place or a more strategic location? You know, uh, in the in the book, Good to Great, it gives the example of Walgreens that went from, you know, next doors because they wanted the corner spot and and the strategy that, you know, that Walgreens implemented in that in that situation. And so I I, kind of want to talk about instead of upgrading to space, I want to talk about right sizing to space and and the strategy that you should be looking at with that. The first thing that I'm going to say is get your ego out of it. This is a common mistake that I see that people, you know, they kind of equate space to success. Like, well, I am now in a 10,000 square foot warehouse. Like, no one cares the size of your warehouse. No one cares the size of the truck you drive. No one, like, you know, it's... Excellent point. <laughs> Excellent point. Like, just realize what what is the size that you need for your business. And, and, and so the first thing, get the ego out of it and look at it from a sales to asset uh, relationship is, is what I would look at. Is I want to generate the max amount of sales with the most efficient use of assets. And, and when you're talking about brick and mortar, you're talking about warehouse, you're talking about an asset there. And so even if you're leasing it, I'm still, I know that technically on the books that doesn't, you know, equate as an asset because you're leasing this space, but I want to look at it as, you know, it's a tangible. And so 
I'm trying to figure out what's the most you know efficient relationship between sales and assets that that I can do. So how do I make use of my space? And and you know look at forecasting. You know, am I going to need more space? What what does growth look like? Um, are customers actually coming to my space? A lot of people. I, I've seen them spend a lot of time and money trying to get this great environment for customers, and customers just don't come. You know, I mean, how many how many front desks are staffed, and they see one or two people a week? Like, that's not an efficient use of of resources. Well, and, that, and that's what I was <clears throat> going to comment as well is that so often when we look ex- expanding, while well, I'm running out of space. Well, are you running out of space or are you just not using your space efficiently? Mm-hmm. Do we need to go through a lean manufacturing and readjust the way that we're doing things in our production lines to make ourselves more efficient to generate the space versus going to a whole other building where we're still going to be inefficient because we don't have those processes in place? Which this brings up the question, do you understand what your space is used for? Like, uh, so I've walked through a lot of spaces with, you know, uh, basically entrepreneurs who are looking at whether they're going to buy a building or whether they're going to expand to a new space or something like that. And I've done a lot of walkthroughs and everyone kind of walks through the space as if they're shopping for a house. They kind of have this idea of, you know, this beautiful work environment where people are happy in their cubicles and, you know, it's, (laughs) it's all full upstairs. And I'm like, when I see people in their cubicles, I see a lot of wage payables. Like, that's expensive. And so I don't want people just, you know, you get these ideas of Google where everyone's biking into work and then they're taking naps in these little egg pods and playing ping pong on their break. And, and people think that's cool. And I'm like, yeah, sure, it's, it's a culture. But do you want to pay for that culture? Is that what your business model is all about? Most of the time it's not. And so – you know, as I'm looking at my space, I'm like, what am I using space for? And I think before you ever step into a building, put down on paper, what do you need? You know, do you need storage space? Do you need retail space? Do you need a space to meet customers? And what type of customers are coming in? You know, and, and put it all on paper first, then start looking at spaces that might fit those needs. And I like the idea of putting it on paper because we want to look at projections moving forward of what that sales is going to increase to, how much more inventory do we need to carry because of that? How much more are we going to be producing? So the paper idea and having hard numbers, especially projections, Mm -hmm. are going to help us understand how much more square footage that we really need. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when when you're talking about space, I'm always looking at it as a plan. Um, You know, don't, don't, don't get ego into it. Don't get that honeymoon where it's like, oh, this could be so exciting. I'm growing now. Um, I also, and this is my personality, I don't know if I'm going to recommend this, but this is the way that I operate. I would prefer to be in a situation where the space is not quite ideal and I'm trying to get creative to make the space work rather than immediately jumping up on the onset of growth. Just because you know, if you, if you take some time to fight through some challenges, you get a little bit creative. I've seen a lot of inventory management where there's like, we don't have any more room, but they don't have an option. And so they have to do better inventory management because they're limited on space. But 
I've seen the the inverse of that, where people, they get more space and they think they have to fill it. And so they start doing poor, you know, inventory turns start, you know, getting worse because they're just filling stuff. They're like, I've got the space, I better stock up on it. And they start, they start making spatial decisions as opposed to business decisions. And so I like having a little bit of pressure where it's uncomfortable and, you know, really really forcing the business to decide what they need and what they can do without. Okay. So now as a business owner, we've come down to the conclusion. I know the additional space I need. I have an idea of location. Um, and so now I'm going to start going and I'm going to look at a building. Mm -hmm. Um, before I sign a lease or put an escrow or anything of that thing down, what are some things, some red flags and things I should be looking for that before I jump into to find out on the backside and now I'm in trouble because I've already locked into something of things I should look for before I'm, I actually make any commitment that I'm, that I'm exploring in each one of these buildings, new or old, that are potential problems because each one has its own unique challenges Mm-hmm. Um, when we get into it, I, I mean, for example, like on a new one, if I build new walls or anything in there, I may never be able to recoup that because it stays with the asset when I move on if, and if that landowner kicks me out. So, right. But we don't think about things like that in the beginning. So, so what do we want to do, things to consider maybe a, you know, as I'm moving forward before I get ready to sign any documents? So I'm actually going to back up to, you asked me a question right at the beginning to share my horror story. Yeah. Horror story. (laughs) I mean, that makes it sound like (laughs) (laughs) I'm still recovering. I got out with my life, you know. Um, It wasn't that bad, but uh, I did have a personal experience with looking at a business space. And I'm going to share this this experience and and then kind of tie it back into some of these things that you're asking, you know, with this uh, questioning. So... I uh, I had this idea that I wanted to do an escape room uh, here where, where I live locally. Now, population's not very high where I live, and so in order to make it work, uh, there, there wasn't, like, it, it wasn't going to be just an explosive opportunity. Um, and so as I was doing the research, the market research, to look at the feasibility of this, uh, one of the things that I did is I... I, I found there, there was actually quite a bit of data. I, I found the data of how far people are willing to travel uh, for an escape room. I was blown away that there's a good percentage of people that will go more than three hours. Wow. Uh, yeah. Like it, it so most people want to stay. And, and again, I'd have to pull this up to get the numbers exact. But most people want to stay within about 30 minutes. Within an hour was reasonable. Once you started getting past an hour, the, you know, the numbers started mm-hmm. dropping off. Yeah. By the time you got to two hours, it was like, you know, very few people would do it until you got to three plus hours and then it spiked again. And I'm like, okay, those are all the diehards who like, that's their thing. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're planning their family vacation around escape rooms. Like, uh, so anyway, um, so I looked at with, with those numbers, uh, I went ahead and I got the demographic information within, you know, an hour, hour and a half of, of, of where we were going to put the escape room. And I just looked at the total population and I'm like, okay, this is how many people we have to work with. And then again, I pulled some research that said, you know, how often people are going to go to escape rooms, what's the frequency, different things like that. And I ran some analysis and I, and I looked at it and I found out that for our area, uh, meaning, you know, where I live locally, where I wanted to put this, 
an escape room was only going to uh, do revenues. On the bottom end, it was about seventy to 80000 annual, and on the top end, it was about 150000 annual. So this is definitely a side deal. This was not something that, uh, you know, that I was going to... Uh, you know, that I was going to do forever. But it sounded fun and I didn't mind, you know, as a low investment type opportunity. I'm like, yeah, if I can, if I can clear over a hundred thousand a year on this now, mind you, that's sales. I'm not talking about profitability here. You know, if I could clear over a hundred thousand a year on this, um, then it, it could generate enough profit that it's worth my time to do that. That that's kind of what I was looking at. I I classify these as Disneyland uh, businesses because right, right. it generates enough money for you to take your family to Disneyland. That's about what it's good for, you know. And, and so I, I was looking into this, and I was like, ah, it could be fun. So I reached out to a. Uh, uh, a friend of mine who she owns a business and it was a beautiful location. It was on main street, uh, had, you know, great access. And she was using the bottom half of the building for her business that she ran. Uh, and she went ahead and bought the business or bought the building for her business. And she was using the bottom half, but the, the upstairs was completely vacant. And she was trying to figure out what to do with this upstairs. And I knew, knew that she had this space and she was trying to figure something out with it. So I went and reached out to her and I said, look, here's the situation. If I do an escape room, it's not going to make a lot of money. So I can't go and get, you know, like I, I, I can't go and, and, and lease a space and I, I'm not going to buy a building. But would you be interested? You already own the building, so your costs are low. Would you be interested in doing, you know, doing something like this? And she's like, I love the idea. I, I want something in this community that would be fun. Uh, let's, you know, let's look at it. So... We figured it out that we could probably get this thing off the ground for under twenty thousand dollars, you know, because her space was already set up. It really was a cool space. Uh, her space was already set up, and so our costs were going to be very low. We could get this thing off the ground for under twenty thousand dollars, and I'm like, okay, that's reasonable for the type of sales that we're looking at. Then you got the city involved. And the thing that was so frustrating is they they came and they looked and they're like, well, you have to have a sprinkling system installed for, you know, for fire, uh, fire suppressant. And we're like, okay. So she goes out and gets a, a quote. Oh, and we had to put an elevator in for ADA. Um, so she goes out and gets a quote on the fire suppressant. The fire suppressant was over $60,000 to install. Ouch. And I'm like, it just doesn't make sense, you know. And then to put the elevator in. So it was her building, and I told her, I said, look, I will invest in the business. I won't invest in your building. So any upgrades to your building are on you. It was going to come in at over $100,000 that she had to dump into her building to get that upstairs, you know, to make sense. This isn't going to make it, – it, it's, it's not a runaway business, you know. Very small sales numbers. And so, you know, I'm looking at this and thinking to myself – it's a dead deal. And, you know, we talked to the city and we're like, are there any options that we can do? And they're like, no, no, no. You know, just not even not even interested in really, really working with it. And you start to see all of these main streets that they have old buildings that it's just not feasible for a business owner. You know, they're not willing to invest the money because these old buildings are not going to return on that investment. They're they're just not. 
And and so, you know, it creates kind of this catch-22 situation where these, you know, downtowns, they need investment from entrepreneurs to keep the downtown vibrant and thriving. But in many instances, the downtowns don't make economic sense because there are too many hurdles that are put in place. And in my opinion, no one's looking at creative solutions. You get a bunch of elected officials, and I know I'm going to just offend people right now, so I apologize. <laughs> but you get a bunch this of elected. This is now the Ryan Murray show. I know. <laughs> Whoo! Just kidding. But, you know, you get these elected officials that they they look at it so narrow-mindedly that they don't understand that this catch twenty two the the situation is just perpetuating worse. That's right. Uh, you know, and but. The sad thing about your scenario, though, is we both know people who have found a location like that, signed a lease agreement. Oh, yeah. And then went to the city and found out that they have problems that the, the older building or because now it's going from a one use to another use in a zoning classification mm-hmm. or something that you have to change some property or put in an elevator um, because it was grandfathered in before, but now it's not. Um and now, all of a sudden, they're out of business before they even started. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's what we want people to avoid. I, I, I had another. So that was personally, that was something I was looking at and at investing in and just setting up as kind of a small side business. But another situation that I, that I was involved with, there was a business that they wanted to create a fund center, and they found this warehouse that they were willing to invest all the money to update the warehouse, make it safe, you know, and and put in kind of, you've seen those bounce house trampoline parks, you know, those kinds of things, right? So they were going to put one of those into this city. It would have been a great addition to the city, and it really would have been, uh, you know, a nice business to have. Well, the city came and told them, they said, you need to have sidewalk installed in front of your building because that's what code is. And they looked at it and they're like, okay, we understand, like, you know, we're going to take care of the parking. We're going to, we're going to re-asphalt the parking lot and make sure that it's nice. And then we'll have sidewalk in front of our building to get into the building, but we're not going to put sidewalk and curb and gutter out on the street because there wasn't sidewalk leading up to it and there wasn't sidewalk after it. And the city's like, no, you have to have sidewalk. That's what the code is. And I went and asked the city, I'm like, can you put a clause in there that says once sidewalk comes up to the edge of their property, then they would have, you know, like 90 days to get the sidewalk completed. They're like, nope, you have to have side. And, and it killed the deal. Like it, it was a sidewalk on the side of the street that killed the deal. See, that's painful. And I thought to myself, and I was glad that the entrepreneur was smart enough to not get into the deal before, you know, before finding this out. They they did their homework on the front end, which is great. But, yeah, it absolutely killed the deal. And I'm like, so now this city is out a quality business, and instead they have a rundown warehouse. Like, that's that's what they're left with. That was the alternative. And it just, I see this happen a lot. I'll get off my rant. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, we've looked at a couple of things, you know, that when you're looking to expand, we certainly want to do enough back homework so we understand what our real, what our real need when it comes to the size constraint is so that we're just not going into a building that's bigger that um, either we grow out of too soon or we never are able to fully utilize that now we're, we have a back storage room that we just can't, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, a lot of a lot of buildings in inside of downtown areas have multiple s- floors, and if if we don't have a way to utilize all that space, then why are we taking on such a large building? Unless the rent is amazing, I don't know. But. I, I've seen that happen where people uh, they get way too much space just because the space is so big that you can't use it for anything else, and you know they're um, like. I, I got to get something out of this, so I'll give you way too much space at a killer deal. And I see that happen. Well, and then as a as a as the owner now, or the I guess the operator of the property, then I'm trying to figure out ways to utilize it. So then I make poor decisions because I'm just trying to fill the space or mm-hmm. or sublease it back out and all the other problems that come with that. So yeah, so really, you know, we've done our homework, we get it down. Now we've kind of had an idea that you know, all right, if we're going to look at a building, we want to do our homework on the planning and zoning and uh, lease agreements and everything before we sign anything, because if that building has problems or we've got to do upgrades because it's no longer grandma underneath ADA um, requirements and elevators or suppression. And, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy planning and zonings depending on where it's at mm-hmm. um, that we certainly want to do our homework. It's always really smart. Uh, most cities have a, a planning and zoning committee, a city manager, other, some other individual that you can go and have these conversations with. So we always highly encourage you to do that inside that municipality or, or county that you're located in um, to have those conversations and make sure you fully understand uh, what the obligation are. Um, a lot of people, when they get into a lease agreement, there's what they call um, a triple net and some other uh, legal thing terms in there that they don't understand where you have other obligations financially that mm-hmm. you need to pay uh, up front as part of those lease agreements. So, Certainly, if there's if you're given a, a lease agreement to sign and there's some language in there that you don't fully understand, uh, please make sure you take the time and step back to look at uh, what those terms are, um, because uh, sometimes they build those into there so that as the wear and tear of the building comes in, you're paying for it, not uh, the landlord, and mm-hmm. so uh, that comes out of another financial obligation. Even though it's small, it might only be a dollar addition uh, per square foot, but it, every year it adds up and it adds up and it adds up. Um, a lot of agreements um, on new bi- on uh, rental and lease, etc., cetera, um, have uh, stages and so they ramp up over the years. And so you got to look at that. If I do a five-year lease agreement and each year the, you know, it goes up a dollar per square footage. Okay. How is that going to affect me out to five years, especially if we have a glitch in, and our business plan and our growth plan mm-hmm. is that going to cause us problems out there into the future? Okay, so we want to look at things like that um, as we go through some of this, because uh, otherwise, I mean, you know, the story you sh- you shared, uh, I mean, all of a sudden figuring out that you've done some remodeling of a building and now all of a sudden you've got to put in a suppression system, wow, that that would have been painful. But it happens. The sad thing about it happens all the time. We see this all the time. And as much as we try to walk people through it and encourage and get the message out that, Hey, you take your time as you go into these expansions. Um, you know, it, it just, uh, it slips through the cracks and someone, you know, ends up having a very nasty crow pie and trust me, no one, you do not want to eat a crow pie. There's nothing good about a crow. <laughs> well, and I, I think, and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of wrap up my thoughts, uh, with, with two, two points here. Uh, first off, prices are almost commoditized. 
Uh, yes, there's location, 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 but within that location, everything pretty well equalizes. That's that's how you know that's how commercial real estate is. And so, if you're finding a deal that is like a killer deal, there's a reason why it's a killer deal. And sometimes, oftentimes, it's that you have to put a ton of money into the property because I guarantee if that landlord thinks that they can get full rent off of this, they're not going to just discount it down for you. So if they're having to discount it, it's because there's some sort of ADA limitation or there's some sort of, you know, uh, structural limitation. Or Brownsfield. Yeah, Brownsfield. Like there, there, there are these things that you have to take care of as the entrepreneur. So don't, when you're shopping around, and it's smart to shop around, you know, because there are people who try and get more out of than what it's worth. But when you're shopping around, don't just think that everything is, you know, like it's expensive for a reason because the landlord is taking on that instead of passing it on to the entrepreneur. That's a very common thing. And so be aware of that. So that's one point that I wanted to, to bring up. Uh, the other just final thought that I have is if you get into these situations, because we're really talking about uh, economic policy, uh, we're talking about the political realm, we're talking about, uh, you know, planning, future planning, city planning, uh, you know, and all of these things, they go outside of your direct entrepreneurship responsibilities. But you've got to realize as an entrepreneur, you have influence. We did a whole episode on the influence that you have as an entrepreneur. And, you know, uh, politicians, elected officials, they're more apt to listen to business owners because business owners are really, you know, essential to their to their tax base, to the vibrancy of a city is, you know, how vibrant their, their business is. And so you as an entrepreneur, you carry a lot of weight. Your voice matters. Use that voice. Make sure that that's being heard. Uh, there's an interesting statistic that's happening here in the United States. So... And I'm talking at the federal level, Congress at the federal level back in the 1960s had a huge percentage of entrepreneurs that were, uh, you know, now in Congress. So you had businessmen that were in Congress. That has almost gone away. It's a very small percentage today. I believe it's less than 10% that come from a entrepreneurial background. So the people that are making the the laws of the country, they used to do it through a business lens, and now they do it through a political science lens. They do it through, you know, there's a lot of... what, what Le- legal lens. Legal lens, yeah, that's uh, that happens a lot, and and those aren't those aren't bad things, but it's it's too heavily weighted on that side, and so people, you know, they tend to ignore some of the real economic implications. Whew, I'm ranting a lot today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm done. I'm done. You cl- you close it out with whatever you want to say. <laughs> I, I, you know, my my thought is is. Is any business that expands uh, and they're ready to do that? I'm always be patient, be patient, be patient, mm-hmm. because too often we get, uh, like you said, check your ego at the beginning. If you don't do that at every level, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to enter into something that shouldn't be. You're going to uh, bypass a step that you should have taken. You know, uh, there's a lot of uh, legal requirements when you go to expand, especially with new buildings, uh, everything from health codes to uh, city ordinances and planning and zoning. And, and you need to make sure that you walk through each one of those very carefully mm-hmm. uh, 
Um, you know, I, just because the building is slated for a restaurant and you go to move in now um, and do a new restaurant, some rules have changed and now the venting system doesn't apply and you have to put in a whole new vent and vent it out a different way because uh, what they used to do before and just capture it through a bunch of screens and filter it through the air system doesn't meet the requirements anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. so we miss a lot of things like that when we just get, um, like you said, our egos in the way and that excitement and that pride and we're going to do this one. And so uh, you got to make sure you check those emotions real fast and early in the game as you do that. And if you do that and move forward slow, you'll have a good experience expanding it. It will be profitable for you. And as an organization, you'll find that you're in a better position now than that. Well, you're in the position that you had hoped to be in with the expansion. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, okay. Well, with that, then let's close out this episode. We are, uh, thank you for joining us today again. Um, so I don't miss up the, the whole thing. <laughs> I'm going to let you close this one out formally because uh, you know I'm going to say money first instead of marketing. Uh <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you give the final beauty punch. Uh, uh, all right. Well, this, this is Ryan and Ethan with Marketing Management and Money, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Take control of your business today. Go to learndesk.us and search Marketing Management and Money for the small business insights you've always wanted. Be sure to stay tuned for new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of every month and make sure to subscribe to be notified when we release bonus content such as interviews and short discussions.